This episode of Forever Star Wars is part of an annual event that brings Star Wars podcasters together under one banner to celebrate our love of podcasting about the wars. Podcast Day 2023 takes place on February 7th because that is the day of the very first Star Wars podcast called Jedi Talk, which debuted way back in 1999. It's hard to believe that Star Wars podcasting has been going strong for 23 years. I am truly grateful to Daniel and Star Wars Podcast Day for inviting me and Clashing Sabers to participate. So here's a contribution to this special day by Forever Star Wars. I hope you enjoy it. The Emperor's made a critical error and the time for our attack has come. The data brought to us by the Bothan spies pinpoints the exact location of the Emperor's new battle station. We also know that the weapon systems of this Death Star are not yet operational. With the Imperial fleet spread throughout the galaxy in a vain effort to engage us, it is relatively unprotected. But most important of all, we've learned that the Emperor himself is personally overseeing the final stages of the construction of this Death Star. Many Bothans died to bring us this information. When she appeared in Return of the Jedi, she was an ethereal presence with a quiet, dignified grace and humility. Mon Mothma, a name vaguely reminiscent of the words Moon and Mother, has been an ever-present figure in the Rebel Alliance since 1983, but we knew almost nothing about her outside of Legends-era stories. With canon, she's been virtually non-existent in live action. The series Andor gives us the most comprehensive and deep study of Mon Mothma we've ever had. And boy did it reveal some interesting things about the character. This is for our love of a galaxy far, far away. It's a galaxy as big as our imaginations, but it feels close like a member of the family. This is Forever Star Wars. Hello there. Welcome to Forever Star Wars, I am Mark. In my previous review of Andor, I mentioned that I'd be releasing several character-centric episodes based on the standouts from the series, which I didn't get to cover much in my initial review. This is the first of those entries. Consider this supplemental material to my review episode. These will be tightly focused and shorter than typical episodes of Forever Star Wars, and I'll release them from time to time, because I still have so much to say about Andor as a series. Senator, what a pleasure to see you. You as well, Luthen. Sorry to be so late. It's always right when you're leaving, everyone remembers all the things they meant to bother you with. <laughs> Free your mind, Senator. This is a place where time stands still. It's hard being surrounded with this much history and not be humbled by the insignificance of our daily anxieties. How true, and how I need to hear that. This series introduces Mon Mothma in Luthen's shop on Coruscant. Luthen Rail is a rebel Svengali a mysterious string puller who's orchestrating a complex web of operatives. Mon is the primary financer of his rebellion, and in episode four, she comes to Luthen besieged and paranoid, but for good reason. If you can't deliver, I need to know. Do you think I'm not trying? I never think that, but I need to start planning if you're no longer coming through for us. The money's there. 
It's just getting very dangerous to move it around. I can't pull funds the way I used to. They're watching me now. Uh, they're watching everyone. This is different. They're everywhere. There's a new spy every day at the Senate. I visit the bank. They're all new faces. You got a new driver. <sighs> I feel under siege. As a senator in a largely prostrate Imperial Senate, her service is all but meaningless. Stripped of any real power or influence, the Senate has been reduced to political theater with no real representation for the galaxy's citizens. It exists for the sole purpose of delighting an audience of one, the Emperor. As one of the few representatives in the Senate who actually cares about her constituents and the rest of the galaxy's citizens, Mon is watched closely by her enemies. She navigates a razor's edge each time she visits the shop to meet with Luthen. Their ruse of fake smiles and congenial small talk is fascinating to watch because just under the veneer lies the risk of exposure. The Mon Mothma scenes in the series are imbued with such tension and stakes so high that it makes her every appearance feel vital and desperate. Out of all the protagonists on the show, she's in the most danger at any given time. She has a front row seat to the Devil's Court, so her movements and her choices must be carefully calculated if she has any hope to survive. Seeing Mon's role in the earliest rebel factions was not a surprise, but seeing her home life was. Don't seat them near me. Oh, I've taken care of that. You're at the boring end of the table. These people are fun. Oh, are they? Are they fun? Well, we should find some Gorman guests for tonight and see how amused they are. Your fun friends just cut off their shipping lanes yesterday. Do you know how many will starve? Perhaps we can laugh about it over the third course. Perhaps you should have a rest. If you make me pay attention, I will, and you won't be happy. Don't do this again. There's rumor you bought me a present. It's going back. Must everything be boring and sad? Home is no retreat. Mon can enjoy no solace here. Her husband Perrin is only interested in social ladder climbing, and he's ambivalent if that pursuit is to her detriment. Perrin is entitled, spoiled, and flippant. One could almost call him a trophy husband if it were not for the fact that Mon had no choice in selecting him. Their marriage was arranged, according to Chandrillan custom, when they were both teenagers. Mon cannot rely on the one person who should be her advocate. Her husband may or may not be in league with her enemies, but that almost seems irrelevant. Whether he's a spy or merely motivated by his own selfish interests, Perrin is a liability, a callous, unsympathetic irritation in one of Mon Mothma's most vulnerable pressure points, her private life. But from there, it only gets worse. Did you eat? When would that have happened? Just came down. Take something for the ride. What? We need to be going. Oh, change in plan. Dad's taking me. You're taking me, right? I'll clear it with her. I don't have early class today. We planned this. You did. Get your coat. It's not up for discussion. Are you serious? Am I serious? Just go. You're off the hook. Get your coat. It's out of your way anyway, so what's the point? The point is, we have a schedule. The driver's waiting. I've planned on this and we're going. You're only doing it to show off. What? Just go. What would I be showing off? You're involved somehow. Well, that's just... Nobody cares. You can relax. That's just so hurtful. 
See? There you go. Go where? That's my point. It's all about you, isn't it? It's always all about you. Is this really how you'd like to start the day? I didn't choose this conversation. Daughter Lita is sullen, belligerent, and confrontational, none of which are particularly unusual for teenagers, but given Mon Mothma's future role as leader of a diverse assortment of rebel factions, it's surprising to see Mon struggling to connect with her own daughter. But I think this humanizes her. From her appearance in Return of the Jedi, and even in her brief role in Rogue One, Mon Mothma was a pillar of quiet, virtuous strength. Seeing her home life as such a mess adds a compelling layer of complexity to her. She's crafted a stately persona that served her well in the former Republic, and will obviously help to unite the diverse rebel cells in the near future, but she has no such sway over the people who know her best and share her home. It remains to be seen if this is simply a trait of her personality, or whether this crumbling family dynamic somehow shapes the leader that she'll become. But I rather like the idea that it's the former. I've said many times that I like heroes with faults, and this certainly fits the bill. Mon Mothma possesses a kind of idealism that will inspire people from different planets and cultures to rise up and fight their oppression. But people tend to see what they want in their leaders. What lies beneath the public facade is a much more complex and ambiguous person. I still believe that Mon Mothma is a fundamentally good and decent person. I believe her heart is in the right place. I'm very much in her corner in practically every conflict she faces, even the ones at home. But I'm also open to the idea that she's made and will make mistakes. Perhaps her family life is a reflection of the compromises she made to become a senator, or even more likely, the compromises she made when she agreed to marry Perrin. Lita likely suspects that this fracture in her parents' relationship can be exploited. Lita is quick to pit her father against Mon at several opportunities. There are scenes where Lita is having a conversation with her mother, and Lita's eyes will shift to her father as if she's seeking his approval. Perhaps Lita thinks that her father is the only ally she has, or it could be that Perrin has manipulated his daughter into believing that. Whichever the case, it's still fantastic drama to behold. I'm straying a bit into a tangent here, but while watching the series, I was struck by how much Lita looks like a young Princess Leia. Even her name is evocative. It seems as if the showrunners want us to make that connection, if only on a subliminal level. Lita has many parallels with Leia. Both have parents who are public figures and in politics. Both grew up in opulent privilege. Both are headstrong and sharp-tongued. But that's where the similarities end. Lita seems to delight in earning her mother's disapproval. Leia could certainly be rebellious, but she had a much warmer and supportive relationship with her parents, Bale and Brea. I've seen some discussion online that Mon's strained relationship with her daughter is the result of Mon putting her career first. I see no evidence of that, and certainly no one ever suggested that Bail Organa had put his career first over his family. I don't think Mon's family is a reflection of her inadequacies or the result of her being more focused on politics than on her daughter. Mon appears to care very much for Lita and is involved in her life, or wants to be. But Lita is convinced that her mother is selfish and cares only for outward appearances. I'm leaning more towards the opinion that Perrin is behind this idea. He's likely the reason why Lita questions her mother's integrity. While I believe that Mon is genuinely concerned for Lita, it's also possible that she sees this family strife as an opportunity. With Mon's life being so closely watched, it may be in her best interest to project the image of someone who's more focused on family than on what the Empire is doing. 
When she meets with her childhood friend Tay at a dinner party, she confides in him and shares some of her truths to enlist his help with her finances. Grand Vizier has infiltrated my separatist coalition meetings. My driver is an ISP plot and reports on my secret humanitarian programs. I know they watch me, and I want that. Because as long as everyone thinks I'm an irritation, there's a good chance they'll miss what I'm really doing. What are you really doing? Raising money. I need to access my family accounts. Until recently, I was able to dip in and out of my family fortune without concern. That's changed. I need help. Raising money for what? I'm forming a Chandrilan charitable outreach program. I'll ask you to be chairman. It will involve visits here to Coruscant. It will appear to be another of my benevolent and useless irritations. I've explored the alternatives. You're my best shot. You haven't answered my question. And I won't. You're better off not knowing. Or perhaps you find my politics a bit strong for your taste. Perrin's on his way over. He knows none of this. He's not to be trusted. Smile. There you are. Reminiscing, are we? School days? Are we that predictable? <laughs> There's a reunion coming up. Oh, don't remind me. She pretends not to care, but we both know better, don't we? It was ever thus. May I steal her back? There's a few guests that require special handling. Of course. To be continued. Through most of the series, we've seen Mon Mothma on the defensive. Her perilous predicament with the Grand Vizier spies, her mostly symbolic efforts to be a voice for the Gormans in the Senate, her crumbling family, and especially the dangerous work she's doing to fund the rebellion. But in her conversation with Tay, we get to see another side, the tactician, the strategist. She's perfected this art through years of navigating the treacherous waters of politics. She's observed her enemies and their tactics. She knows how they think. Mon has crafted this public persona to draw attention away from what she's doing behind the scenes. And this gives us insight into how brilliant her mind is and why she one day will be the leader of the Rebel Alliance. Mon is a survivor, but she hasn't sacrificed her ideals to do so. While Luthan Rail may be a fascinating study as someone who does the right thing but loses himself to the dark side, Mon has made no such sacrifice. Yet. She's a counterpoint to Luthan, a mirror image of moral absolutism. She's righteous and true. This is why she becomes a figure around which the galaxy can rally. Everyone sees in Mon what is possible. They see the best of themselves. She's fought the Empire while remaining true to her convictions. She's a pacifist, so symbol or not, she'll eventually have to compromise some of her core values when the real war breaks out. Your cousin? At the embassy. She's there now. Well, they said you'd want to know. A surprise visit reveals one of my favorite twists in the series. Vel, the freedom fighter who comes from privilege, turns out to be Mon's cousin. In a brilliant plot twist, we instantly gain context for Vel's past and Mon's future. Mon is more intimately connected to the rebellion than we ever realized. Funding this fight takes on a much more personal aspect. She's doing it because it's the right thing to do, of course, but she's also trying to help Vel because Vel is family. 
and one of the few family members who understands her plight. You're one to worry about. Trapped here, boxed in. Please tell me you're being careful. Things are happening. There's risk. There's no other way. I'm starting to think we're in over our heads. It's got a spinning out of it. You took a vow. This scene gives us a contrast in the two women's views of the rebellion. In order to fight on the front lines, Bill must be a stalwart believer, a radical even. The vow is sacred. Anyone who breaks the vow, even family, will be the enemy. The danger to Vel and Mon is equal, but it's Vel who sees the cost up close. She sees death and those making the ultimate sacrifice for the vow. By contrast, Mon lives in a lavish embassy, throws garish parties, and rubs elbows with the rich and elite. Mon's world is no less dangerous, but it certainly is more sterilized and more removed from the bloody battlefront. Perhaps this is why Mon continually questions her role in all of this. She's not experienced the ultimate cost of the rebellion, and therefore her commitment wavers when the waters get too hot. Vel reminds her, much as Luthen has, that her commitment cannot be broken. Too much is at stake. Just the one night, Vel. I'm afraid so. Heading back to Chandra today? Yes, the pilgrimage. Find yourself a husband? Wasn't on my list of things to do. Well, you need a widower at this point. Who's left of any value at your age? Yes, all the good ones are taken. What I really like about this scene is how it's apparent that Vel and Mon are true allies. And after so many of Mon's family scenes showing her at odds with Lita and Perrin, it's clear in these scenes that Mon knows as much about Vel as the reverse. We've had an influx of Chandrons here recently. You remember Tay Colmer? I do. Mother's old boyfriend. What? Is that something you've told her? The key word is old, darling. We're in grade school together. At least you've not gone political, Val. All the interesting people are getting very tedious these days. No one ever calls me tedious. Perrin is hopelessly clueless about Val's personal life. It's already been established that Val has a relationship with Senta and that a husband was never going to be in the picture. The way Mon shoots Perrin a look when he asks about Val's marriage prospects says so much about her closeness to Val. I read Perrin's ignorance not as the result of being intolerant of the possibility of Vel's queerness, but rather the result of Perrin's utter disregard for anything going on in other people's lives. If it doesn't involve him, it doesn't register. Mon smirks at Vel's reply with a deliciously knowing look. She has a lot of respect and affection for her cousin, and it's nice to see that she has an ally, one who's not only in the family, but also in the fight. I believe Mon's personal connection to the Rebel Alliance is more than just family. It serves to push her character ever further into moral ambiguity and what she's willing to do for family. The deeper she gets embroiled in the clandestine nature of the rebellion, the more peril she's in, and the closer she comes to making choices that are difficult for someone of her integrity and moral resolve. That very thing happens when Tay presents her with a solution to her financial predicament. He's arranged a meeting with one of Chandrilla's most notorious organized crime lords. Davos Calden. He is not a banker. He's a thug. The wealthiest thug of them all. Don't tell me you've spoken to him already. I wanted to bring you a solution. If you told him that you're feeling constricted by the new tax laws, it's common enough. A senator, 400,000 missing, what will he think? I think it's just like everyone else he works with. You want what's yours. At what cost? I'm not sure. He wants to meet you. He wants to meet here. Uh, 
Davos Golden here. You must be joking. I pushed back, but... We learn immediately that Mon is extremely resistant to the idea of doing any business with such a distasteful individual. I could keep looking. But she reluctantly agrees to grant Davo an audience. I like when things are clear. But then I always get to thinking, what's around the corner? Your curiosity has clearly been profitable. I've met your husband several times. I'm sure. <laughs> I take it that's not a corner we're turning in this conversation. It is not. This is one of my favorite scenes. She's so icy in their meeting. Her gaze cuts through Davo like a knife, piercing him with a sting of judgment. Her candor direct and unflinching. But as the negotiation unfolds, the true cost of this alliance is made known. It's far worse than she could have imagined. The ritual that paired her and Perrin at the age of 15 is a fundamentalist tradition that Mon no longer approves of, and it's clear from her marriage that it's a tradition that caused her a lot of pain and anguish in her personal life. Davoskaldin will only help her if she agrees to introduce Lita to his son. Both have reached that age of the ritual, and it's clear what Davo is requiring in order to participate in the financial exchange. Senator, neither of us have lived a life that encourages nonconformity. Is that your only offer? I'm afraid so. Tay will see you out. Of course. It's a lot to think about. I'm not thinking about it. That's the first untrue thing you've said. It's been a pleasure. Genevieve O'Reilly gives a spectacular performance. As Davo leaves, Mon sits on the couch stunned. Moments before, she was the picture of resolve and determination. She was powerful and exact. But in this moment, her entire body quivers. She's trembling at the horrifying price she's forced to make in allowing her daughter to be used in the same way she was. This is one of those scenes where the gravity of the moment is as loud and distinct as any lightsaber fight. Mon Mothma has just gone up against the dark side. And not only is the dark side winning, it's taking her family as a prize. Safe in the knot, in the binding, the old ways teach us. To further underscore how events are spiraling out of Mon's control, Lita has become interested in the Chandrillan old ways. She's becoming a young convert. Seriously, is that really happening? We did it. You did it. I thought this was over. It's back. You're not following the trends. It's weird. It's stronger here than it is at home. But you, you can do what you want. It's not me. Perrin? No, no, he's strangely open-minded on this topic. It's her. It's Lida. No. She loves it. And her friends. It's the only thing she shows up on time for. It's mad. Mon has clearly rejected the old ways because she suffered a lot of emotional trauma as a result. She knows what dangers that those old ways present. Lita is too young to appreciate that now. But Lita, ever the rebellious teenager, seems to delight in doing the opposite of what her mother wants. And nowhere is this more apparent than going against her mother's wishes where custom is concerned. You're gambling again. Nonsense. And here, in Coruscant. That's ridiculous. Do you have any idea how tired of this I am? 
It's a lie. It's total fantasy. Who's telling you this? Please. No, I'm serious. Parent, please. Who's saying this? Just don't. We'll go back there right now. We'll put it to We will not. I've been shamed enough for one night. You can't live without a casino? Fine. You go to Canto Bite and do whatever it is you need to do. But not here. You promised. I've kept my promise. Keep your voice down. He can't hear me. This is wrong, Mom. This is people trying to take you down by coming after me. You tell me who's saying this and I'll tell you why. Where I get the money? That's the question that scares me the most. Someone's lying to you. On that we can agree. This is one of the final scenes in season one to feature Mon Mothma, and it's a good one to end on, because it shows a side of Mon that I suspected early on might arise. In a previous episode of Clashing Sabres with Brandon Boylan, I speculated that we might see Mon using Perrin to her advantage at some point. The series introduced the idea that Perrin was a thorn in her side, both with her political enemies and with her daughter. We were presented with a picture of a husband she couldn't trust and was possibly spying on her or undermining her work. Or maybe he was just so callous and detached that he didn't care anymore about the danger she was in. Either way, Perrin was a threat. But out of all the possible ways this story element could play out, I thought the most interesting possibility was that Mon would figure out a way to use Perrin's apathy to her advantage. In a move that reveals her talents as a master strategist, she uses her driver and her husband's penchant for gambling to plant a seed, a seed that would explain the banking discrepancies as being the result of Perrin's gambling addiction. We'll have to see whether this ruse works in season two, but I like that the series ended with Mon going on the offensive. It sets up her arc towards Defector and Leader of the Alliance nicely. The image of Mon Mothma as a solemn, morally resolute beacon of hope is still intact after Season 1 of Andor, but it's a picture with more complexity and shades of grey than before. Any figure that history regards highly is never as simple as the public perception implies. Every leader has made compromises and mistakes and has kept hidden their darker side, leaving an unvarnished image for the public and for history to exalt. That's not to say that Mon Mothma is a fraud. She's precisely what the Rebel Alliance needs to unite the many factions. She'll use her skill in politics to breach the divides and bring people together and unite them under one banner, a banner for freedom. It doesn't matter if she has to compromise some of her ideals. Holding Mon Mothma to an unattainable standard of sainthood is both unrealistic and unfair. Even if she's now more morally gray than we imagined, what she does and will do is always in the best interest of saving as many lives as she can. That idealism will be your legacy, myth or not. It will help the Rebel Alliance win the war, and victory is the ultimate judge of history. That concludes this special edition of Forever Star Wars, which celebrates Star Wars Podcast Day 2023. If you're on social media, you can follow Star Wars Podcast Day to keep up with all the podcasts that are participating. You can find them on Twitter at Star Wars Pod Day or on Instagram at Star Wars Pod Day with no spaces. 
be sure to use the hashtag Star Wars Podcast Day 2023 if you post a reply or comment for one of these episodes. And you can follow me on the socials. I'm on Twitter at DJM Marquis, M-A-R-Q-U-I-S, and on Insta at MMarquis1205. I'm also on Hive at The Forever Beard and TikTok at Mark's Forever Beard. And last but not least, read more in-depth analysis from the Clashing Sabers crew at ClashingSabers.net. The views and commentary of Forever Star Wars do not reflect those of Lucasfilm or Disney. All licensed sound and music are property of their respective copyright holders. Clashing Sabers and Forever Star Wars are not affiliated with Lucasfilm, Disney, or any of their subsidiaries. The commentary and production of this series is the property of Clashing Sabers and Forever Star Wars and may only be used with permission. Until next time, may the Force be with you. And always remember, Your focus determines your reality.